Brett Serpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for February has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code VALENTINE. Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs, and more support. They have beautiful templates for you to start with and tons of style options for you to adjust so they can really create your own space online. Squarespace takes care of hosting, SEO, and even makes your site automatically look great on any device. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, over 70 Squarespace employees are on the customer care team, which is based in New York City. Squarespace truly cares about design and it shows throughout their site, which they're always updating with fun new branding, which has won numerous design awards. They have two brand new iOS apps for Squarespace customers. Squarespace Blog, which lets you easily draft posts, schedule and review posts, as well as monitor and manage comments on your blog. Squarespace Blog is fully integrated with Layout Engine, allowing you to easily format text or markdown, tap and drag images within your post, and modify detailed post settings on the go. This is really long for an opening sponsor script. I'm sorry. Then there's Squarespace Metrics, which allows you to monitor website analytics like KPIs and page views and unique visitors. Projections and charts for your website are at your fingertips. And there are also iOS 7 updates for Note and Portfolio. And don't forget about audio collections for the musicians and amazing new 3D visualizer for shipping. As I said earlier, like a long time ago, you can try Squarespace for free, no credit card required. And if you decide to purchase, it starts at just $8 a month and includes a domain name if you sign up for a year. And make sure you get 10% off and support the show by using the offer code VALENTINE. So thank you to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and Systematic. And my guest this week is John Voorhees. He is... I, I forgot to ask you what your actual title is, John. What's your title? I am a bankruptcy lawyer. I mean, I'm counsel at a firm called Mayor Brown in Chicago. I, I, I got I, I had the bankruptcy lawyer part down. I didn't come completely unprepared. <laughs> okay, good. So, John, you're a bankruptcy lawyer. I am. And you live in Chicago, so you understand the weather. I do, and I've um, I've been right there with you all winter long. I mean, especially every time I, I think it's going to get colder in Chicago, I think about you and how, how much worse it is up in Minnesota. We have like a 10-degree offset. Yeah, that's about right. I mean, you know, your, your your avatar on Twitter ought to have, you ought to add to that, you ought to Photoshop in some, some blood sickles. <laughs> and I heard you talking about that on one of the recent shows, and that would be perfect, I think. Let's go up on a couple of shows, I think. <laughs> I really got to stop using that word, because it's just disturbing. It, it, it is disturbing, but it, it, would, it would really complete the look that you've got. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, it would be not safe for children anymore no i suppose so i mean how many children are following you really brett come on i more than i think like yeah, more than i usually think i'm always yeah you're probably right actually i'm surprised to hear from like you know not like five and six years old but like 12 to 14 year old kids who you know are looking for advice looking for uh tips things like that and it's always it, it always takes me by surprise. Oh, they're the ones who are hacking away at their computers, right? Exactly. And I really, I love hearing from them because it's, it's encouraging the right. future. Yeah, for sure. So what, I'm trying to imagine a, a, a young kid who says, when I grow up, I'm going to be a bankruptcy lawyer. Yeah. Is that how it happened? I don't think so. I don't think you'll find too many of those. I mean, I, I really fell into it. Um, I 
graduated from law school in 1991. So I'm up there, you know, in age with um, practically Dr. Drang at this point. Um, I graduated. Like he, he's the he's the like uh, the watermark for. He, he is. Uh, uh, what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? The line. Yes, if you you pass Dr. Drang, you're you're considered old. He's not old, but if you're if you're older than Dr. Drang, you you may be pushing it. Um, no, I I graduated from law school in 1991, and the way things work when you're in law school is usually during your summers you do internships at law firms. Um, and I did one. I'm from Michigan originally. I grew up in Ann Arbor. Oh, um, whoa! Did I know that? I think you did. I think we talked about it. You did too, right? At least till middle school or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Weird. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, so I, I did an internship at a law firm in Michigan for a couple of summers. And while I was there, so you're in law school for three years. So my second summer, after my second year of law school, while I was there, I got to watch this law firm implode and go out of business. Um, which meant... You, you make it sound like a spectator sport. <laughs> well, it kind of is when you're, when you're the intern and you're not really employed by them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, usually what would happen is, you know, the, the, the normal progression would be you intern at some place and then uh, as long as you're not a complete screw-up, they'll, they'll offer you a job and then you'll go work for them after you graduate from law school. Um, but this law firm, um, fortunately for me, in the long run, I suppose... Um, they went under um, between my second and third year of law school. So I went into my last year of law school with no real plan or idea of what I was going to do for a job. Um, and one of the things I started looking at were clerkships for judges uh, around the country. Uh, but given the way the timeline works for that, by the time I was a third year in law school, most of those clerks, clerkships were taken except for bankruptcy clerkships. And I had taken a, a class in bankruptcy, and I enjoyed it. Um, I always enjoyed economics and those sorts of things. Um, so I figured, you know, what the hell, I'll go for it and, and applies to some, uh, some clerkships with bankruptcy judges. And there were a number of them that I applied to. In the end of the day, it came down to either working for a judge in East St. Louis, Illinois, across the river from where I went oh, to school. Oh, that's the bad St. Louis. Yes, it is the bad St. Louis. I went to school at Washington University in St. Louis, the Missouri St. Louis. Um, and the bankruptcy court in East St. Louis was just across the river, and it was surrounded by razor wire uh, for a reason. And it was either work there for two years or potentially work in Chicago. Um, so I called the judge who I'd interviewed with in Chicago and begged him for a job at that point and said, please make a decision because I don't want to spend two years in East St. Louis. And fortunately enough for me, I ended up um, getting the job in Chicago and worked for a bank for a bankruptcy judge in Chicago for a year. I got to back up for one second. Yeah. Why, why would it be surrounded in razor wire? You said there was a reason. Well, East St. Louis is just, at least in the early nineties, I have not been back to East St. Louis it was not a very nice place. Um, they had had, a lot of financial difficulties to the point where the garbage was no longer collected and was piling up on the streets. <laughs> um, and they had at one point, I think, one of their creditors had foreclosed on City Hall. Uh, it was just a bad scene all around. And there was not much in, in East St. Louis except for um, riverboat casinos and strip clubs. Yeah. Yeah, I knew a guy from East St. Louis. <laughs> Is that and about, I, I, about right? I, yeah, it does. I, I have relatives in St. Louis. Okay. And nobody ever, when I was a kid, no one ever mentioned 
East St. Louis. Like it just wasn't talked about. No, I mean, you drive, I would drive to school and everybody would cross our fingers as they were driving through East St. Louis. <laughs> the car wouldn't break down. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. I wonder if we have any listeners in East St. Louis. I hope not. <laughs> maybe it's improved. It's been maybe. 30 years, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe it's like suburban uh, heaven now. Yeah, maybe. Um, okay. So, so you end up in Chicago. Right. And you get a gig as a bankruptcy lawyer. And that's where you still are, right? Right, right. So I, I spent a year doing a, a clerkship with the judge, which and what that really means is you help the judge get ready for um, dealing with all the cases for for any particular day, and I did that for a year. Um, I, you know, I I would read all the stuff that was going on that day, help the judge get ready to make decisions, write the opinions, that sort of thing, and uh, at the end of the, but it was a one year stint, is all it was. I mean, they would bring someone new in after a year. Um, so after a year I was looking for a job and, and, you know, being a clerk was a good way to find, you know, get a sense for the law firms in Chicago and understand exactly what they were all about and the, the personalities and people behind each of those firms. Cause I wasn't from Chicago originally, so I didn't really have a clue in terms of what the Chicago legal scene was like at all. So how are you, I, I would say, how are you liking it, but you've been there long enough. How, how how has it turned out for you? Are you do you love your job? Um, you know, I, I love aspects of my job. I think my my job is great. I mean, I, what I like about it is um, you get to learn a lot about a lot of different industries all the time. I mean, by that I mean you, what I typically do is I work not you know you probably see the infomercials late at night when you're watching cable TV and you see the guy who comes on and wants to help you file a Chapter 7. That's not what I do. I work for, generally I work for creditors, not for the people who are filing bankruptcy. Um, and I work for banks and other large creditors of corporations usually. So I work on, I've, been, I've worked on cases like United Airlines and Delta Airlines and all that, that kind of thing. Um, usually trying to help banks and other creditors recover whatever they're owed on loans that they've made to corporations. Um, so in, in doing that, I think one thing that's, I think really cool is you get to learn all about those industries. I learned all about the airline industry, all about the auto industry, all about, I've done, um, you know, publishing, uh, publishing is definitely, uh, uh, an area that's been going through a lot of distress over the last several years. I've learned about all sorts of industries and what's interesting to me that it makes the job new every time you come into work is that you'll learn, you're learn you're dealing with, a set of rules that you have to deal with, which is the bankruptcy code day to day, but you're applying them in different contexts um, all the time, which is, which makes it different and exciting. So what kinds of things do you learn about a, uh, an industry while going through bankruptcy proceedings? Well, you get a sense for what got them into trouble. Um, you know, and <laughs> It, it, it's interesting that being a bankruptcy lawyer probably makes you extremely conservative overall because you see all the you see the dark side of everything. Really, I mean, um, you know, a lot of times people look at companies and they say, "Oh, you know, they got themselves in trouble because so and so was a crook and all these terrible things happened." The reality is usually it's just um, stupidity more than anything else that uh, and and poor execution that gets companies in, in trouble. Either that or just uh, macroeconomic forces more than anything else that gets them into trouble. Um, you know, it, you watch the airline industry where 
it became a strategic thing to file bankruptcy. That became an, an advantage for people to, uh, if they've been through a bankruptcy, that allowed them to shed pensions, allowed them to renegotiate contracts with various vendors, um, all sorts of things that if you hadn't filed bankruptcy, uh, you know, you were at an economic disadvantage to other companies. Wow. That seems like a broken system. Um, it, it, it can be, although, I mean, in a, in a perfect world, bankruptcy is a way of reallocating capital to um, companies that work. So if, if there is something that's happened to a company that is beyond their control that they can fix and they can uh, stay in business and continue to provide value, then, then they do. Um, if they can't, then they go out of business and they liquidate. So it, it's part of, I mean, I think uh, in a perfect world, it, it does actually kind of add a certain amount of grease to the system and, and that other countries don't have that uh, allows, um, you know, uh, failure to be accepted in a, in a sense and then um, the money to be reallocated to the parties that are, in a, in, the money to be out, reallocated in a, in a fair way and then... Uh, move on with it, whether it's, you know, with a new company or, or, um, some sort of reorganization. So do corporations face penalties the way that personal bankruptcy, like, like when I, when I shut down my own business, Mm -hmm. I took out loans and paid off debts and worked it off, uh, because I was worried that declaring bankruptcy would affect my ability to, you know, get a home loan, get a car loan. My my first like seven to nine years, I think it would affect my record. Mm-hmm. Do corporations face the same penalties? No, not in the same way because corporations can just cease to exist, right? I mean, a, a lot of what's happening in, in bankruptcy these days, and, and this is how bankruptcy has changed over the twenty years or so that I've done it, is that you know maybe twenty years ago the the primary goal was to rehabilitate. The corporation to fix whatever was wrong operationally, what, uh, whatever the problem was that caused them not to be able to make money uh, and move forward. Today, more often than not, what it ends up being is some sort of liquidation. It becomes a sale of the company's assets. So, um, you know, uh, Corporation A files Chapter 11 and they use it as a way to sell all their assets to Corporation B, and then B moves forward with those employees and assets, um, and A is just gone. Does that say something about, like, the corporate environment? Has Have things, are things, like, more fast-paced? You just, like, discard and shed the parts that aren't working and just move forward as fast as possible? And is that different than it was before? Yeah, no, I, I think that's part of it. I mean, I think that... The original intent behind the bankruptcy code was to to allow companies that have fallen on uh, hard luck to fix themselves and right the ship and and move forward. Um, one, you know, unfortunate thing about bankruptcy is it's an extremely expensive process from a company's standpoint. Uh, it can cost millions of dollars to go through a corporate Chapter Eleven case, and as a result, um, they avoid it at all costs now um, and. One thing that that we've seen is that those, as a result, uh, 
most of the cases these days are, as I said, they're, they're quick sales. They're, they're done as kind of a merger and acquisition transaction as opposed to a rehabilitation of the underlying business. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a sponsor break and then we'll come back to something more. Um, uh, we'll, we'll make it a little nerdier. All right, cool. N- nerdier than bankruptcy. Law. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, there are bankruptcy nerds, but they're they're not the same as tech. Nerds. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds interesting in and of itself. All right. Uh, save time and get paid faster with FreshBooks, the easiest way to send invoices, manage expenses and track your time. FreshBooks is a simple cloud accounting solution that's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs and small business owners just like you save time, billing, and get paid faster. With FreshBooks, you can easily create invoices online, capture and track expenses on the go, and get real-time business reports with a few simple clicks. You can try FreshBooks for free. Sign up today at GetFreshBooks.com. And here's a treat for systematic listeners. Every Oh, oh that was you, man. Foul. Foul. <laughs> My phone's off. Yeah, that was my computer. Oh, all right. I forgot to mute the system. Anyway, (laughs) so here's a treat for systematic listeners. Every day, FreshBooks is giving a birthday cake to someone who signs up for a new account from this show. So for your chance to win, enter systematic in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up for your new account. With FreshBooks, every day could be your birthday. So go sign up at getfreshbooks.com and tell them systematic sent you. All right. Do you know what a Sazerac is? No, I don't. It sounds like a letterpress word that you'd use against me. Oh, man. <laughs> I got to tell you, like John and I, we, we like to play letterpress, and we've tried a few other games, and I recently challenged him to um, a stickman golf game. Yes, and be honest, I sucked, right? You, you were horrible, and you made me look great. So I took that ego and turned around and challenged Dan Frakes from Macworld. Oh, did you? He's really good, I've heard. Oh, my God. He he has, like, magic balls that do things that I don't even... Like, I'll replay his shots, yeah. and I don't even understand yeah, how he, how he did what it. he did. <laughs> and he, he uh, we're on, like, hole three. He's, like, 16 shots ahead of me already. Well, I'll make you feel good. I'll play you again this week. Um, <laughs> I, I, I haven't played that hardly in the last... Year, but uh, now you know, we've got Dan Provost on there, and maybe uh, maybe take on Dan Frakes before it's all over. Yeah, Just I think Dan hit. Frakes is kind of the in in my list of game center friends. He's like he's the Jedi. He's level thirty something. Have you played uh, Daniel Jalkett in Letterpress? I have. I, I won one. I too. have one too, but he's uh, he's, he's pretty good. He's a a formidable opponent. And uh, you know who else is really good is. Um, uh, another guest of this show, uh, John August. Oh, really? He is outstanding, yes. He doesn't always respond to challenges. He may be off the letterpress game now, but... Um, yeah, that happens. But a Sazerac is a drink. It's um, it's some simple syrup and some bitters, uh-huh. and then rye whiskey. Okay. And then while you're mixing all that, you chill a glass, and then you... Pour some absinthe into it, and you roll it around so that it coats the inside of the glass, and then you dump out the rest. Uh-huh. And then you add your rye mixture to it, right? And like you mix the rye and ice, and then you you sift the ice out huh. as you pour it to the other glass. Uh huh. And it, it's my new favorite drink. I'm oh, loving wow. them. That sounds interesting. You make those at home? Yeah, because uh, I had a listener, um, uh, Carl Goats. 
came by my house, uh, I invited him. I should, <laughs> That's I should start that. He's, he's not uh, stalking you? We were going to get coffee, and I was like, hey, just come on over. And, and he brought with him uh, a bottle of my favorite rye whiskey, Templeton, uh-huh. which I had actually bought a bottle of in preparation for him coming over. And so I had two bottles, so I was looking for recipes for rye whiskey, and that's how I learned about the Sazerac. Oh, interesting. That, that, sounds, that sounds really interesting. I mean, we'll have to, I was thinking about that. I th- you told me about a place in San Francisco that was right by my hotel at WWDC that was really good that I'd like to try sometime that had all sorts of whiskeys. Do you, do, oh, do you cask. Remember? That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's to, my, my favorite stop. If I'm there long enough to drink a bottle of whiskey before I go home, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll always stop there. Uh, if I'm only there for three days and don't have a like uh, a checked bag, yeah, then it's a waste of money. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe I you can educate me sometime if we find ourselves in San Francisco at the same time. Are you going to Macworld? Um, I don't think I'm going to Macworld. I may go to uh, WWGC. We'll see. I, I will probably be there, too. All right. Cool. But I'm speaking at Macworld this year for anyone who wants to oh, cool. come. See. Do you know? Can you tell us what the topic is at this point? Uh, the, they contacted me and and they said we need a, a productivity ninja talk, <laughs> and that is not that is not what it's going to be called. Okay, <laughs> but that is the gist. All right, uh, it's going to be another kind of rapid fire productivity tips. But I'm going to dig a little deeper into. Things like automator and keyboard shortcuts. Yeah, I'm, pre- I'm picturing you showing up in your ninja suit with your throwing stars. I don't own throwing stars anymore. All right. <laughs> I have a mace. Oh, you do? And a morning star. Nice. And a whole like medieval getup. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. That's what they do up in Minnesota. They The Renaissance Festival here is nuts. No, they do that. That's big time in Wisconsin, too. Yeah. You're not that far from there. I am. I can literally walk to Wisconsin. Yeah, you're right on the Mississippi, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It's just a bridge away. Nice. I don't like to talk about it. All right. Well, boy, we're we're stuck in the cold Midwest. I, I feel sorry. <laughs> I feel sorry for both of us. So anyway, so you do some coding. You taught yourself, right? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I I've been trying to teach myself, and I, I kind of fell into it. I mean, I I fell into it mainly because my oldest son i've got three boys who are 16 14 and 10 and um he he really wanted to learn how to code and i'm a lawyer i didn't know anything about coding um i've always been interested in gadgets and gear and computers and whatnot uh but i never really sat down and tried to code other than screwing around a little bit in the command line and things back in the old days with my parents ibm pcat and um, when he int- he got interested in coding, I started looking around for outlets for that. Um, and right at about the same time that happened, the iPhone SDK came out, and you know I think it was late 2008 that that happened. Um, and not knowing any better, I said, "Hey, you know, why don't you try this?" And trying to help him get into that, learned a lot of it on my own, and started really enjoying it and ended up learning a bit of it on my own. And, and, you know, I, I hack around at it as kind of a hobby on the side. Um, and I'd like to get better at it. Um, but it's, it's a lot of fun. I've had really enjoyed kind of getting into it deeper and deeper as the years have passed by since the iPhone SDK came out. And your son actually put one out on the app store, didn't he? Yeah, he's got a, he's got, I think he's got four apps now. Oh, wow. Um, he started out, 
I, whether it was by accident or not, I made the good choice of pointing him towards a simple project. He was 11 years old at the time. And I said, why don't you, you know, you've been doing all this stuff at school, doing, um, learning your math facts, you know, multiplying, dividing, plus, minus. And, you know, they kind of, they drill it into the kids so they can do it really quickly. Why don't you just do like a basic flashcard thing where it displays a problem, you have to figure out what the answer is, and then you hit a button and you see if you're right or not. Um, just a real simple, simple program. Um, and he hacked away at that for months and months, and he stuck with it. Uh, and that ultimately he, he put out um, in, I think, like the spring of 2009, about six months or so after the SDK came out. Did it, did it go well? Well, it, 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 went pretty, it did go pretty well. I mean, at that point, you know, you're talking 2009, the iPhone was, and, and putting out apps for the iPhone was a novelty. And, and a kid at 11, 12 years old was especially a novelty. Um, and it was pretty funny because first, uh, the local ABC station came out and did a little little bit on him. Um, unbeknownst to us, that got syndicated and it showed up all over the country. Um, so people saw it all around the country. And uh, Inc. Magazine came out or contacted him and did a little piece about his app and talked to some Kleiner Perkins investment banker about you know kids doing apps and so forth. Uh, and, and ultimately, I don't, and I don't know how this happened. I was, I remember vividly, I was driving to my car, driving to Northern Michigan for a summer vacation. And I start my, my, uh, at that time I still had a Blackberry as most lawyers did. Um, it started going off like crazy and I was getting emails from all over that, uh, Owen's app was being discussed on, on the Rush Limbaugh show. <laughs> and apparently Rush Limbaugh. And there's a transcript of this still online somewhere. Rush Limbaugh was making the point that uh, the Obama administration did not have to prop up, um, you know, uh, God, what was it? It was like uh, green technologies. I mean, he was making the point that green technologies, you know, the private, the private sector could handle dealing with, with green technologies and that for example, there were all sorts of people innovating out in America, including this kid who had come up with this flashcard app. And once that hit the airwaves, yeah, he did He did pretty well. <laughs> Got a lot so of downloads. You, you have a lot of friends who listen to Rush Limbaugh? No, no, but a lot of people <laughs> apparently do. Uh, I had no idea. But, but yeah, a lot of people... Word did, spreads quickly. It, it did. And um, so he, he did pretty well on that for, for a kid that is 12 awesome. years old. That is that's an amazing accomplishment for any eleven year old. I think. Yeah, no, it, it was pretty cool, and you know, I think ever since then he has been really careful that he doesn't like people to know his age because he really wants to be judged on his merits as a as a programmer and not that is on awesome his age, too. which I think is really good. I think it's real healthy. I mean, he's sixteen now, and he's got you know he did a couple of flashcard apps based on that, and then he did um, he did one called called Log My Run, which lets runners. You, know, you input your the day you went running, how far you went, how fast, and so forth, and then it graphs out your progress and so forth. Um, it's just like a, a journal for runners, um, and that one's done. That that one's done pretty well. And then he did one for driver's ed students because he was taking driver's ed last year, and he's like, you know, it'd be really nice because they'd make us record all of the you know the number of hours we drive in the snow, we drive at night, we drive in the daytime, we drive in the rain, that sort of thing, to be able to record it really easily and then just output it to print it on a computer or what. 
on a, on a printer or whatnot um, and turn it into your, your driver's ed, ed teacher. So that And that one has been surprisingly successful, too. Okay, so he's self-taught, too. He is. And so did you learn alongside him, or did you learn to help him, or was it just a separate process? Uh, what The code experience that you have, was it in tandem? It, w- it was really in tandem, and he's by far the superior coder to me. But, I mean, initially it was me trying to find him resources. Back in 2008, 2009, there weren't a lot of resources out there for people who were trying to learn to code for iOS. I mean, there were some Cocoa Books, um, it's hard to imagine now, like if you, if you go to Amazon, you search iOS programming, you'll probably find 30, 40 books, um, of all types to teach you how to code iOS. But back then there really wasn't anything. So I started looking for that, started looking for books, started looking for websites, blogs, anything I could find that would help them along the way. Um, so that, that kept me on top of the, the entire, um, you know, that entire industry as I was going along. And along the way, I just, I don't know, I kind of got the bug myself and started teaching myself and figured that'd be kind of fun to do this. Um, and, and, uh, taught myself a little bit of the coding. And you ended up making a little iOS app called Volcano. Is that how it's pronounced? Yes. Yes. I mean, and the, the first app I did was a super simple, uh, pace calculator for runners. I'm, I'm a, I'm a long time runner. So you can see, um, Owen's app for runners in part came from ideas that I had, uh, for tracking your runs. And my idea was to do a, a pace calculator where you're like, Oh, you can put in how far you want to go, how fast you want to go and calculate, you know, the remaining variable. So I, I put together that app and that was supposed to kind of support his app and, and be a bit of a cross promotion. Um, so I did that initially and that's still out there and being downloaded. And then recently, I was listening to, um, I started listening to a podcast by Mike Hurley and Matt Alexander called Bionic, which is also on 5x5. And Mike and Matt's uh, podcast is just a couple of guys talking about whatever. I mean, I think it started as more of a tech podcast, and they still talk about tech from time to time, but they cover all sorts of things, and they're just a couple of couple of friends talking and enjoying themselves. And as part of it, and they've, they've gotten kind of a cult following, um, I think, amongst a real hardcore listener group of um, several hundred people. And at one point during one of the podcasts, maybe, I don't know, it was sometime in November, um, Mike started playing these suspense accents, which are, uh, suspense sounds, orchestrated sounds that are built into GarageBand, um, and and Matt complained to Mike that you know he's not able to to play those on his end because Mike's got it all built into his soundboard. Um, and I thought, you know what, I I haven't done anything on iOS for a while. I could use practice. I, I'd like to try to come up with something. I think I'll try to create a little soundboard app for uh, these bionic suspense accents. And I started putting that together and it was coming along. It looked like I was going to be able to figure it out and get it, get it to a point where someone could actually use it on their phone. And I sent it to Mike and I said, Hey, you know, I thought you and Matt might think this is kind of funny. Um, you know, here it is. What do you think? Uh, I'm not planning to release this or anything. And Mike's response was, no, you should definitely, you should definitely release this. This is cool. People really enjoy it. And so that's, 
ultimately, I, I finished it up, and that's what I did. Um, and it, it's gotten a pretty good reaction from a very hardcore uh, listener base from the Bionic Podcast. And you give that away for free. Yeah, I mean, look, the value of that app is not what I did. The, really, the value there is what Mike and Matt have done with their podcast. They've got a fantastic podcast and a lot of great listeners. And what I did was I took the um, the seven suspense accents. It's really just a grid of nine buttons. Very simple app. Seven of them are the suspense accents. The eighth one is a, I don't even know how to explain. It's a, it's a, um, a sound bite of John, uh, Johnny Ives saying the soft mat, which is something that uh, Mike plays for to, to drive Matt crazy periodically. And then the <laughs> and then the center button is just a bunch of um, audio snippets from those two guys that are taken out of context that are kind of funny. A couple of you should sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just say a couple of Englishmen, you know, just shooting it, shooting the breeze together, and uh, out of context, some of them are pretty funny. You should uh, you should add an in-app purchase for fart sounds just to see what happens. I know. Well, you know that's I it, it definitely crossed my mind. We could do you know like uh, a sound clip packs. Every twenty packs is a buck. But no, really, it, it, you know it's it's interesting because to me because it's not a sophisticated app. I mean, it's just me screwing around on iOS. Um, but it did get a pretty good response, mainly because those guys have come up with a really great. Uh, really great podcast, and they have a lot of real loyal listeners, and that's where the, where the value really lies on that one. So, do you see a parallel between coding and and law practice? Do you do you do you find uh, do you find similar parts of your brain get used for both of them? Yeah, I definitely do. I did. I didn't really expect it when I started working on it, but um, there are some parallels. I mean, they're not perfect, but uh, both are very structured in the way they approach problems. Um, you know, people complain about legalese, but legalese is, is in, in its own way a syntax that is designed to remove ambiguity from uh, the English language, really. Uh, you know, you can debate whether that's particularly useful, whether it really accomplishes that job or not. Um, and, and that's the difficulty, I think, with law more so than, than coding is that the English language has a certain amount of um, inherent ambiguity that it's very difficult for it to, um, to be as precise as coding. Um, and coding has to obviously be precise or else the, the, I mean, the computer really only understands exactly what you tell it. Um, Wait, in, to that point, mm -hmm. there are usually multiple ways to write a statement. No, that's true. In encoding and one of them will be very precise almost machine language right like ternary operators mm -hmm. but if you actually write it out then the next person who comes to code it can way more easily understand what you're doing mm -hmm. so there's i think there's a parallel in uh, uh, dan quayle um it's had a quote something like uh Excess verbosity leads to unclear and inarticulate speech, mm -hmm. which, like, if you take it apart, it makes perfect sense. But when you hear it, you're just like, oh, excess verbosity. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's right, though. It absolutely is right. Uh, and Well, in legalese, I often see is just way too many words well, to say something. It, that it, it is, and that is, I mean, I, I don't think that's the right way to do things. I mean, I think you're better off being more concise, um, but... 
if you ever look at legal documents and, you know, probably more, more often than not, a lot of people will see the, you know, glaze over when they see the terms of service for some website or some app that they've downloaded. And you glazed over just hearing you say it. Yeah, exactly. But, but if you look at it, there's a lot of defined terms and so forth. And the purpose of doing that sort of thing is to abstract the ideas just as you're abstracting various concepts in, in coding. Uh, you may define, you may define a word to mean something very precise. Um, you know, that, that is a little bit like, um, assign a variable. On the other hand, you may, um, define another word to mean a complex formula of, um, you know, how am I going to give you a, a loan, Brett? Oh, I'm going to give you a loan based on, you know, 80% of the last 90 days of invoices that you've sent to clients plus 50% of the value of your house and 25% of your car, right? And that, that equals money I'm going to pay to Brett. Wow. Um, and that's a little bit like defining a function, right? It's an algorithm for how much money I'm going to loan you. So what compiles a legal document? That would be the judge. Ah. Yeah, and that's where, I think that's kind of where, you know, once you get humans into the equation, I think that's where the uh, the analogies start to break down. I mean, it's um, it, it's less precise by nature than dealing with a computer. But, uh, you know, you, you've got laws that are, you'll have legis, uh, legislatures that enact laws that um, create, that are similar to the comments in code, uh, where they'll uh, provide all sorts of insights as to how things should be interpreted. And ultimately, the judge is the one that makes the decisions, taking the inputs of the, the facts uh, and the law and applying them and coming up with some sort of decision. And that's that's how it's supposed to work. Right. And if the if the case is laid out as clearly as a program where everything is spelled out to the letter and you're expecting certain results, you you can generally expect that a judge would come to the same conclusion assuming there's precedence. Right. 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 And if you're trying to do something in a a code that has no precedent, you're guaranteed unpredictable results as well. Exactly. I mean, the more inputs you have, the more unpredictable the result becomes. Right. Fun stuff. Yeah. Legal coding. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, (laughs) um, but it's interesting because I think that sometimes lawyers don't stray too far from uh, their their normal path and, and what they're doing. And I found actually that doing the coding has really helped me in terms of thinking about problems and in dealing with issues um, from a legal standpoint, just in terms of the analytics of it. Nice. All right. Should we take another sponsor break before we do the top three? Yeah, sounds good. We have to because we have two more sponsors before the end of the show. Oh, all right. (laughs) Not optional. All right. So sponsor three today is Shutterstock.com, where you'll find over 28 million images, stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and a million video clips. Start your search at Shutterstock.com to find that perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection to find images from around the world to suit your project. Choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. Choose whatever fits your need and never have to compromise. If you need just one image for a blog or a mock-up, you can do that too. Every time you visit Shutterstock, you'll find something new because they add 20,000 new images every day and 12,000 videos each week. It's more affordable than you think, too, with no charge for large files. Just download any image at any size and pay only one price. 
They don't nickel and dime you for high-resolution images. If you need them, just take them. Easily curate and share pictures via Lightboxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos and add them to your own Lightbox gallery as you search. You can also use their iPad app to do this. There's also something called Enhanced License Access. If you like an image and you want to run it on print or swag for your trade shows, they can get you an enhanced license for any image. They also have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips should you need any of those. And if you need help at Shutterstock.com, you get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions. They also have 24-hour support during the week. To sign up for a free browse account, go to Shutterstock.com, no credit card needed. When you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use the offer code DANSENTME314 and get 25% off of any package you put together over at Shutterstock.com. All right. All Top right. three. I've used a lot of Shutterstock images have in you? my day. Yeah, I have, actually, both for Owen's website and mine. Oh, I thought you used them in legal documents. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't really come in handy for that, but it comes in handy for the other stuff I do. I was trying to think of a funny example. Of <laughs> no, I can't think of any, way, any, any, way, any situation where I would use that. But, you know, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Big sad puppy face. <laughs> right. Bankrupt. <laughs> right. Somebody with, you know, you get the uh, the uh, the Monopoly guy with his pockets turned out. <laughs> you should just make that the the header uh, for the, the document on every page. All right. All right, so what's your first top pick? All right, I'm going to go with um, Songkick. This is a, an app that on the on the iPhone only that is free, and what it does is it takes your iTunes library and sucks in all the artists that you're that you enjoy, and then sends you alerts when they're in your town playing a show, which I find really interesting because I. I, I just don't follow the local newspapers like I used to. I mean, I don't know who reads a newspaper anymore these days, but this is a great way to get um, bands that have uh, shows in your area pushed to you automatically on your iPhone. Nice. Did you know Spotify does that now too? Does it really? Spotify, I, I don't know when it started or how in-depth it goes, but Spotify looks at what I'm listening to and tells me, oh, this band will be around in, at this upcoming date. No, that's good to know. I mean, Songkick is something I heard about on the prompt recently that that Federico Vitici had had um, yeah. had recommended, and I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I've um, already you know kind of plotted out maybe a few shows to go to in Chicago, um, and it's it's just a real nice app that sits in the background, and it just bugs you when you actually there's actually a show that you might be interested in, which is nice, which is pretty cool. I've been kind of bouncing between Spotify, Beats, and RDO lately, trying to figure out what I like best. We could talk about that. Yeah. Why, why, would, why would I switch to RDO? Well, I was skeptical, too. I really I, I like Spotify. Um, I'm not sure. The one thing that bugs me about it a little bit is it's so playlist-centric. Um, I do like to just listen to and I, and I know you can easily just pull up albums in Spotify and play them. But RDO, I think, comes from the the, uh, the position that uh, the album is what you want to listen to. And it's just a little, it's, it's designed better, um, which is fine. I mean, um, but I like it a little better in that, in terms of it's being album-centric. And, and Beats, I've kind of enjoyed. I've tried their seven-day trial. I haven't decided whether I'm going to actually sign up or not. I've never tried that one. Yeah, it just came out, you know, like a week and a half ago or so. Um, I don't keep up with these things. Yeah, well, the kids these days, you know, that's what they're that's what they're listening to. <laughs> Beats. 
Yep. I, I'm not a Beats headphone guy, but I, their, their app's pretty cool. Um, I'm trying to, I tried the Beats headphones. I didn't like them, but I ended up buying something that urban something that I thought was going to be bad. But when I tried them, they were amazing. Oh, urban yeah? Beats? Urban Beats? Is that a thing? I don't know. I don't remember. I go but, through headphones like, I mean, I, they, they break constantly for me because I can't. I know, but I've had these, these urban whatevers for uh, almost two years now. Oh, wow. And they still, they're still my favorite headphones ever. Yeah, I, I've got some Sennheiser over-the-ear ones that I use when I'm at home. Um, but when I'm commuting, I just use the in-ear earbud-type headphones. And I've not yet found a pair that really uh, that really lasts a long time. Although the, I found some Sonys that I don't think they're making right now that were in wire cutter. Uh, they recommend them in wire cutter, and they've, they've been great. I think they're going to be replaced with a new model, though. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, my my audio technicas that I'm wearing right now have lasted a long time, but I have a a pile of broken headphones next to my desk. Yeah, I mean I'm constantly pulling my phone in and out of my pocket, you know, walking to the train, getting on the train, getting off, and whatnot. It, it does a there's a lot of pulling and tugging, and screws up the uh, the headphones eventually. The biggest detriment to my over the years headphones is dogs. <laughs> yeah, usually, usually foster dogs. That, they get like, hold of them and just chew on them. Well, they'll run in and they'll they'll crawl under my desk. Yeah, right. And they'll be quiet, and, and I'll almost forget they're there. Right. And I'll have my headphones on and plugged into something, and all of a sudden something will spook the dog. And like I said, especially common with foster dogs. Yeah. And they'll they'll tear out and grab my the headphone cord on their way out, <laughs> and just cause all kinds of havoc. I bet. It's happened more than once, um, which in, is in the middle of a podcast. No, it hasn't happened in the middle. I locked the door. I've gotten pretty smart about locking the door. Yeah, I was say, I, I can't say that I've heard that before on your show. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be arranged. <laughs> All right, so song kick. Yeah, sounds cool. Yeah, I'll check good. it out. I don't. I'm not a huge live show guy anymore. Oh yeah. Like I find them, for the most part, unless I really love a band. Mm-hmm. And, and and there are bands I really love, but for the most part, I find standing up for two to three hours, being surrounded by people way younger than me, and dealing with all the uh, annoyances of uh, live audience crowds, yeah, but is it, not good enough for me. Yeah, it can make you feel old fast. That's for sure. It definitely can, <laughs> definitely. But well, I mean, that the Leonard Cohen show that I went to, yeah, that like it was. There, you know, there's no standing. Everyone's seated. Right. It's a quiet show. It's four hours long, but it was that I loved. Yeah. Like there were, it was more like going to an opera than it was to a live show. Right. Those are the shows that I probably am most likely to go to these days. Yeah. I'm old. Yeah. No, I know. I, I last show I went to was uh, Frank Turner, and I took a couple of my boys with me, and we actually sat up in the balcony, and it was a, it was a general admission show, but they had seats up in the in the balcony. I said, you know, boys, let's just go upstairs and sit in the front row of the balcony. <laughs> It'll be you'll believe me, you'll enjoy it more. <laughs> yeah, and it's true. Yeah. It's true. That front row of the balcony, back row of the balcony, not so much. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I saw Polisa recently, and the crowd was as horrible as as ever but the band was so good that i kind of i don't know the crowd just kind of disappeared in my mind uh-huh that was cool anyway 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 <laughs> what's your my pick? first pick i'm gonna go with a movie for my first pick oh, nice. and uh my friend marina appleman from ann arbor michigan 
uh, recommended this to me, and uh, it was 20 Feet from Stardom. It's on iTunes now. And it's the story of backup singers oh. in and from like Motown through rock and roll. And and the stories of these these women um, who who made some of them made conscious decisions not to be solo artists. Right. And some of them just got stuck being backup singers. But they like there was this scene where they play the the backing vocal track from um, Give Me Shelter. And just the backup singer's track over the rape, murder, just the shot away part. Right. And just that track soloed. And it was, it was piercing, haunting. And you realize that that's the track that made the song. Yeah. How much talent is behind the main singer? Right. Right. Yeah. That's cool. And, and Mick Jagger's in the movie and he's, he talks about it. You know, he, he's, he talks about how you listen to the same four guys play the same thing over and over but you can add you know you add someone new to the mix like that and it can it can completely change and make the sound so it was a really entertaining movie really entertaining it's like five bucks on itunes right now oh cool let's check it out yeah 20 feet from stardom yes all right cool all right so what's your second pick? all right i'm gonna go with a a beer glass for you it's called the Spiegelau Beer Classics 19 ounce 19 ounce IPA glass, and it's it's a it's a glass that was designed specifically for Imperial IPAs. Um, and it was designed by Dogfish Head Brewery in Sierra Nevada. Um, I like my beer in a bottle as much as the next guy, but when every every now and then, uh, a really nice glass. Makes a difference. And makes a huge difference. It does, and and this one especially makes, with IPAs and stouts. Yeah, I I agree. I've got, I've got a couple IPAs and stouts for you if you're interested. <laughs> um, but but it's it's a glass that at the bottom it's very narrow and kind of ridged a little bit, uh, basically to to fit your fingers holding it down below, and then it's it kind of goes out and it gets narrow at the top. And the idea I think is to kind of capture this the. Uh, the smell of the beer, so that when you when you put it up to your nose, you can smell what's, uh, smell the uh, the IPA, uh, and also so that you're holding it down the bottom, you're holding holding in this little narrow bit at the bottom, doesn't heat up your beer and it keeps it at exactly the right temperature. Um, you can get these on Amazon. A couple of them cost you about twenty dollars, and I really highly recommend them. I mean they've they've been fantastic. Whenever I have really good beers I want to drink um, in the evening, that's where I, I pour it in one of those glasses, and and they're. Uh, they're fantastic. I do. I do find like I, IPAs and stouts out of the bottle for me. Yeah, don't. I, they don't taste nearly as good as out of a glass. No, I think that's right. And I and, and well, this this kind of goblet shape, the like fluted. Yeah, did you take a look at it? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. It definitely, that's my favorite shape for an IPA. Right. And I don't know all the science behind the olfactory effects of that shape. Right. But it definitely it works great. Yeah, it, it works great, and they're they're crystal glasses. They just, I mean, they're they're just really nice, high quality glasses. And it, it sounds kind of beer snobby, but I think it's better. It, it definitely is better in one of these glasses. I mean, I no, it's glass snobby. Yeah, glass snobby, exactly. Nice, nice. Yeah, and twenty bucks. Yeah, that's not bad. I've bought more expensive glasses than that that I've broken. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, I spent more than that because I got them when they first came out straight from the uh, the manufacturer. That was a mistake. 
<laughs> Wait for Amazon. Cutting edge. Yeah. All right. All right. So I have a second pick. And this pick was, uh, it was suggested to me by Evan Lovely on Twitter. All right. Or app.net. One or the other. But it was Evan Lovely. And uh, it's a band, a group called Soliloquist of Sound. And I had been listening to, what was it, Sweatshop Union? Uh-huh. Which I usually listen to after I listen to Dilated People. So we're talking hip-hop here. All right. And we're talking intelligent hip-hop, like not gangster stuff. Yeah. And the Soliloquist of Sound, it's a great group, uh, excellent female vocalist in the group. Um, and it's it's just, it's good. I don't know. Honestly, don't know the name for this brand of hip hop because it's not it's not beat heavy. It's more lyric mm-hmm. and 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 flow heavy than it is like pounding rhythms or anything. Okay, it's it's smart stuff though, and it's on it's on Spotify. I assume you can find it on RDO and Beats. <laughs> I'm but, still on uh, Spotify. Just I'm I'm, I'm kind of mixing it no, up. No, keep me posted cuz I have never really I've never really looked around that much. Yeah, no, I saw you were on RDO but that you hadn't done anything for like 8 months so I figured that was like a a failed experiment at some point in the distant past. Yeah, I gave it a shot for like a day. Right. And I was like, but I already have all these playlists in Spotify that I don't want to leave behind. No, I know. It's it, it gets hard. That's the lock-in, I'm for sure with that kind of stuff. I I saw you I mean, I heard you talking about the National recently. I love the National. I saw them um live playing before i think they opened for rem like maybe four or five years ago in chicago that would make sense yeah i uh, saw them and uh, and the bravery i know another one of your top yeah. uh, top bands they're yeah. very good awesome yeah all right so that was okay yeah what's your third top pick all right my third pick is a mac app called spectrum and spectrum is an app for exploring colors. Um, it's kind of a. It, it's basically a designer, an app for designers or anybody who's interested in figuring out colors that go together well. Um, you can grab a color either from a photograph or from a, you know using an eyedropper from some other from a website or an app or whatever whatever you find a color on your computer, and then taking that color, you can apply all sorts of. Um, various color harmony rules to it that are built into the app. So you can see complementary or similar colors that come up in swatches. And once you come up with a group of colors that you like, you can you can export them into all sorts of different, um, you know, you can either come up with a hex or the RGB or NS color or UI color, whatever it is. Um, and I just found it's kind of a fun app to play with. And, and when you're thinking about something you're working on and you might want to come up with a a color scheme. It's a good way if you have uh, a thought about an initial color coming up with other things that might work well with it. I'm going to, I'm going to counter your top pick. Yeah. The, the the app that I have turned to for years for that exact purpose Mm -hmm. is called color schemer studio. Yep. Got that one too. And right now for anyone who's, who's interested, um, it is actually 60% off and costs the exact same amount as Spectrum. Oh, all right. Yeah, Spectrum is uh, 20 bucks. Right. Yep. It's color so you, can, too. You, could, you could try either one, um, and I, I don't have experience with Spectrum. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. It, it's, the screenshots are outstanding. What's wow. really cool about it, too, Brad, is you can take, once you have your colors, you can go into this preview mode, which it's hard to explain what it looks like, but it'll, it'll give you six or seven different um, representations of those colors together 
full sc- in a full screen mode, whether it's kind of like one's a spiral of the colors and other ones, you know, stripes of the colors and other ones, a checkerboard of the colors to give you a sense for what they would look like together, whether it's on a web page or an app or whatever you're working on. Nice. Yeah, uh, Color Schemer does similar, uh, more with layouts, though. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll show you standard, um, like, blog layouts, and you can drag colors in and see how they're going to block out. Oh, okay. In fact, they almost look, like, feature for feature, very similar. I almost m- have to go buy Spectrum and, and do, like, a comparison. Sounds that like a seems- blog post. <laughs> It better be. If I did that and didn't tell anyone about it, it would, that would be twenty dollars wasted. <laughs> right. And I have to be. I have to be frugal now. You that too. Now that you're. Now that you're an indie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. We're all well, jealous that, of you, Brett. I would be too. <laughs> all right. So my last pick all is. Right. It's a beta. It's it's available to everyone to try right now and to provide feedback on, but it is going to be awesome. It's called Dexset, and it takes Markdown, like very standard Markdown, and you it creates like uh, keynote-style presentations from one straight Markdown file. Oh, wow. And it can do awesome things. Like if you include an image mm-hmm. uh, just in Markdown syntax in a slide, It'll make that the full screen background of the slide. Okay. Or you can add uh, modifiers to make it like uh, 50% image, left aligned or right aligned. Uh, they just today added video support, and you can use like a standard markdown image tag, but in, make it a video file, and it'll add it with a you know play pause on advance. Uh-huh. And it the it has like uh, 20 different themes. And I'm hoping they'll add the ability to create your own custom themes. That seems like a, uh, an obvious next step. But yeah. right now, you just you just drag a markdown file onto it, and you get a presentation, and it's slick. How does it know where one slide starts and the other one stops? Is it uh, horizontal rules like three stars mm-hmm. or three dashes that'll right. separate a slide? Okay. Yeah, yeah that makes and sense. Then, then you can use H ones, H twos, lists, ordered lists. It does syntax highlighting if you put in. Fence code blocks. Uh huh. Yeah, it's that sounds cool really stuff. cool. Yeah, it sounds really cool. It is. I'm. I've been impressed with it from day one, and it keeps like uh, the releasing updates every other day, if not daily, with new features. So check that out and watch for it because it's going to be awesome for anyone who wants to make presentations quickly and very, very easily. Uh, what we really need is a good, a good segue between the Mac world. And the Windows world, because I still, like some of your previous guests, live in the, Mac, the the Windows world at work, and I do a lot of my writing and markdown on my Mac, and once you go to Word, it's hard to go back. <laughs> hey, there is actually, oh, I thought we were talking about PowerPoint. Are you talking well, about PowerPoint? Well, PowerPoint, you know, for any of that stuff, but I, I'm, I, I was thinking more in terms of documents more so than, you know, just uh, written documents as opposed to uh, presentations. I've used... Um, the make doc to get things. From yeah. Markdown. I was going to tell you about make doc. Yeah, no make doc is fantastic. I mean, I, that's the voodoo that's in that is, is, is incredible. He, he showed me the voodoo in that. Uh, like he gave me, he didn't give me like his straight up code, but he showed me how he makes the transition to an actual viable word document, which no other app currently does. Very no, you're, well. you're right. There's nobody that does it quite that way. I will get it. <laughs> it it's fantastic. But does anybody go the other direction from Word back to Markdown? I don't think so. Yeah. Who? Well, well. Do. do you? 
Yeah, I have scripts that go from DocX or RTF to Markdown. All right. I'll show you. I'll have to take a closer look at those. They're not perfect. Yeah. Like, nothing's perfect in that arena. But Yeah, no, it's hard to move between different systems before, you, you know, things get screwed up. But it's... What I don't have is pages to Markdown. Yeah. I don't even know, because it's like a compressed XML file, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Anyway, huh. that's kind of off topic. A little bit. Kind of. A little <laughs> Maybe. All right. So that's three and three, right? Yep. That's three and three. Let's do another sponsor. All right. HostGator.com is a premier web hosting provider. If you're looking to start a website, HostGator can help you get started with monthly hosting plans, one-click installs, and tons of other features. Uh, it makes your site, getting your site up and running easy. If you are a more advanced user or a business, HostGator can take care of you with reseller plans, VPS, and dedicated servers. HostGator guarantees 99.9% uptime no matter your size or needs. If you're a WordPress user, you're going to love their one-click installs and optimized hosting platform. When you host with HostGator, you get unlimited disk space and bandwidth. They have free site builder tools that are easy to use, but if you find yourself needing help, they have 24-7 support to ensure that everything is running smoothly. So have, head over to HostGator.com to learn more. When you decide to purchase, don't forget to use the coupon Dan sent me and get 30% off of everything at HostGator.com. All right, John, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. You are John Voorhees, J-O-H-N-V-O-O-R-H-E-E-S on Twitter. Is that right? That's right. Man, I'm good. You are um, good. And you have a website at, hold on, hold on. I know the answer to this. Squibits, S-Q-U-I-B-I-T-S dot com. Yep. I'll throw in links to Volcaner and, and some of your son's applications. Sounds good. Uh, for anyone who's looking and yeah I think that'll cover it I, I have to throw in links to Rush Limbaugh transcripts and oh yeah I'll send you those those are hard to find <laughs> it's crazy it's crazy those were crazy times <laughs> alright and I am Brett Terpstra I blog at brettterpstra.com and I am TT Scoff everywhere Twitter app.net etc um, if you would like to be on Systematic or would like to just say hi Feel free to do a quick audio recording and drop it off at brettterpstra.com slash audio drop. I'd love to hear from you. Um, and I think that is it for episode 82. Thanks again, John. Thank you. And we'll see everybody in a week.